Good morning. Try it again. Good morning. All right, that was a little better. Hey, glad you're here. This is, I'm excited to say, the best outcome we have ever had at the Mill Church in terms of life group signups. It's been amazing. So quickly, I want to do what I did last week if you weren't here and answer a few questions regarding life groups. Number one, what is a life group? Everybody say, what is a life group? I'm so glad you asked. Thank you. A life group is a small group of people who get together to do life and to talk about God's word. Uh, We're going to be reading a book together this particular season, this fall. And it's a a situation in which uh, you can experience more one-on-one life than you can on Sunday mornings. It's often tough to learn prayer requests of those in front of you and behind you. Sunday morning just isn't the best context for that. So life groups are more close-knit, you know, smaller circles or spheres of influence where people can know you and you can be known. Does that make sense? Hopefully that helps. Secondly, where are they? Everybody say, where are they? Again, I'm so glad you asked. They are here on Monday evenings, beginning next Monday, October the 4th. This group is led by Shannon and I, Mondays at the church at 6.30. You can see our group is populated. That's exciting. We may need to multiply. We may need to divvy this into two groups. I'm excited about that. How many of you know multiplication is positive? Right? That's exciting. I want to show you the list of the Tuesday night groups. One of these will meet here starting this Tuesday. This Tuesday, this is Kurt and Missy Schmidt's group. Uh, they are growing as well. They have eight or ten who are coming. And our Marshfield group on Tuesday nights, that's going to be at Rotating Host Homes. Everybody say Rotating Host Homes. So that's if you're in Marshfield, the first of which is at Denny and Linda Christensen's home. The address is here this coming Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. Guess how many people they have. You're not going to believe this. See, there's more than just on these clipboards that they've told us in 29. So that group is going to multiply. I'm not going to use the word split because that sounds negative right? We're going to multiply into two groups. We've already uh, found, recruited another leader, but they're going to have a big social, a big uh, get-together Tuesday night to kick it off as as a big group. So again, uh, Monday here starting October 4th and Tuesday either in Marshfield at a host home or here at the church starting this week, September 28. Adam's going to pass this around. If you've yet to have an opportunity to sign up, and if these could just make it, if we could make sure across all three sections, we'd greatly appreciate that. Um, All right. Glad you're here. Hey, um, we're going to start the second week in a new series that we started last Sunday on teaching you something that you may think you know how to do, but you may not, in fact, know how to do. Uh, I want to teach you over the next couple weeks to be generous. Everybody do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor and say, 
generous. Awesome. To be clear, I'm not teaching you how to give because I believe you already know how to give. Um, I believe we're in a a very give-centric kind of place here in central Wisconsin. That's been our experience. You're likely great at random acts of giving. And the fact that you are great at random acts of giving, I'm going to try to show you may be the very reason that you're not so great at being generous. Let me say that again. The fact that you're awesome at random acts of kindness may be the very reason you're not so great at being generous. Another way to say that might be this. The fact that everybody here gives may be masking the fact that only a very few of us are actually generous. And to be clear, it's not because we're not good people. I believe you are good people. It's because we haven't been taught in large part what it means to be generous. We are all for random acts of giving at the Mill Church. I think they're excitable. I think they're fun. I hope you excel at them for the rest of your lives. A random act of giving is when somebody says, hey, our neighbors are in trouble. They have a need. You pull out your wallet. You pull out your purse. Um, You do great in that as a church, to be honest. When we say, hey, we need a stage to preach the gospel from, we need to raise, I think it was eleven dollars or $12,000, you responded. And when we said, hey, we need kitchen appliances for our kitchen, uh, you responded with $20,000. We're still waiting on two refrigerators, by the way. I'm very frustrated in the COVID era. These chips from Asia, wherever they're coming from. Um, but hopefully we'll get our refrigerators eventually. Um, everything is backed up. Supply chains are busted up during this season. If you've ordered a piece of furniture, you know that, right? Stuff just takes forever to get here for whatever reason right now. And so um, we're making, uh, when we say, you know, we need a parking lot, a plea, and you guys respond. And I'm delighted to tell you that tomorrow they're doing final grading on our parking lot. And they're likely to have maybe even the first inch and a half down by next Sunday. And then they're going to do another inch and a half this fall. And then they're going to stripe it. And somehow we've got to park around all of this while it's happening. But it's going to happen before the winter. So I'm pleased to say that. We're even making progress little by little and cranking on our in-floor heat. We ran tubes throughout the building and that is growing. It's all amazing. You've all excelled at that. We want you to, to continue to. But that's not the point of this series. I told you last week you may be offended during this series but you won't be bored. And I'm so glad to see that so many of you came back for week two. I told you you could stay at home for a few weeks and come back and miss the series altogether. And in fact, you're here. So that's awesome. Um, Some of you may have thought, should we wait a few weeks 
until the series is over, until the storm has passed, we'll return to church again. Or maybe we should just count all the lights in the room uh, the next few Sundays. And maybe I'll fill, I'll fill out a digital welcome card a couple dozen times. And that'll send the message, you know, that frankly, we're just not interested. That'll show them uh, our level of tuning in. But here's the thing that you need to know. You're surrounded by people who are extraordinarily good at random acts of giving. Uh, just a few months ago, we came to you and said, hey, we're not going to El Salvador this year. Will you respond in kind? Will every family give 100 bucks? 60 families gave 100 bucks, and we ended up with $6,000 to send or more to El Salvador. Awesome. Incredible. Um, it was so fun. But here's the thing. And this is why this may be good timing. I don't want you to spend the rest of your lives just doing random acts of giving. You're great at that. But I want you to take the next step and learn to be generous. Meaning, I want you to organize your entire financial strategy in your life around generosity. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Last week we gave a simple definition. Generosity is a premeditated, that means you have a plan. Calculated, that means you have an amount that you have wrestled with. Designated, that means you know where the money is going. Emancipation of what you have received. So it is again a premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of what you have been blessed to receive. What does that mean? That means you're going to learn how to set it free. Here's a sad thing. A person with a microphone, and I'm wearing one right now, and a big persuasive voice, and I think my kids would tell you that I have one of those, and a few sad pictures were I to project those on the video wall behind me this morning, can guilt, can guilt anybody, anybody into giving. Anybody can sell you on an idea. But here's the greater truth. Generous people do not need to be sold. They don't need to be sold on an idea. Generous people actually often hear a pitch and they say, you know what? I'm going to graciously say no to that pitch. And there's no guilt. Why? Because they've already oriented their lives around generosity. I told you last week, not only to open, do open-handed people give more, open-handed people often what? Do you remember? Let's play a little recall. They often save more too. They save more too. Why? Well, because they consume less. There is a, a, a bit of an exception. That would be those who've hoarded treasure 
uh, their whole lives. They have saved so much more, but they haven't really given along the way. They may have more money than people in the five rows ahead of them or behind them, but because they haven't loosened control of their resources, they also have so much anxiety about their resources. They have more, not only do they have more money than five rows of people ahead of or behind them, but they have more anxiety than all the people combined five rows ahead or five rows behind them. It's those who have oversaved who wonder, do I have enough? Do I have enough? They start to think, wait a minute, this, this big pile, this big pile has contributed nothing to my peace. Nothing at all to my joy. And Jesus, in fact, made that very promise. We looked at it last week. It's probably the most famous verse in the Bible about giving. Jesus is quoted to have said in Acts 20.35, it is more blessed to what? To give than to what? Receive. You may have heard it said, happier is he who gives and he who receives. And Jesus was not talking about some kind of pay it forward routine that we have participate in at, at the espresso drive-thru, right? Jesus was, was talking, those are fun, but he was talking about a way of life. He wasn't saying when you give in a moment you feel good. That wasn't what Jesus was saying at all. Because if we're honest for our, with ourselves, wouldn't you agree that it feels good to both give and to receive? How many of you know what I'm talking about? It feels good to receive, does it not? It feels awesome when we get stuff given to us. I would say it's more like a tie, to be honest, in the way we feel to give and to receive. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, when you live a lifestyle of generosity, you lose your stress and anxiety about money. Because you realize it was never given to you for you. So truly happy are those, Jesus was saying, that organize their finances around generosity rather than around hoarding. One of the practical examples I gave last week that I'll repeat this week is how many of you have ever known a miserly, stingy individual or a miserly, stingy family who's just happy as a lark? completely contented to give away nothing. I've never met somebody like that that I can recall. Most Americans, most Westerners, most Canadians, we don't feel financial pressure for a lack of money. We feel financial pressure because we've never been taught how to find great joy in giving it away. Instead, what do most Westerners do? We worry. We worry. 
incessantly about money. Will we have enough to retire? Will we have the opportunity to buy a house? Will we ever get rid of this stupid car? How many of you have wondered that before? Don't act like you haven't wondered that before. Can we? Will we ever have enough to get married? Will we ever have enough to get out of debt? Will we ever really get ahead? Will I have enough? And now I just want to ask you the connection between that last question, will I ever have enough, and what we Westerners actually do to resolve that question in our hearts. Are you ready? This is not pretty. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is not going to be pretty. Will I have enough? We wonder. So what do we do? We spend everything that comes our way. Will we have enough? We wonder. So what do we do? We spend more than we make. And so we end up with crazy debt. We end up with dumb debt. We end up with silly debt. Debt where the value goes down and the cost goes up. That's called interest on anything new. Value drops when you own it. Cost goes up. You're paying more than if you would have paid in cash. And then consequently, what happens? We have no financial margin. When you have no financial margin, what do you do? You worry. You worry. What do you do, Westerners, to alleviate your worry? You want to feel good again. What makes you feel good again? What do Americans do when they want to feel good? They spend. That's what they do. It's the American way when it comes to finances. And the thing that drives us is a mindset. If it comes to me, it's for me. Everybody say that. If it comes to me, it's for me. Yeah, that's our mindset. Um, let me give you, ask you a few questions to challenge that mindset. Are you ready? How much more money would you need to stop spending more than you make? Let me ask you that question again. How much more money would you need to stop spending more than you make? 10% more? 15% more? 20% more? What if you went to work tomorrow and found out you got a 25% raise? Do you think you would go home and say to your roommate or your husband or your wife or your parent, hey, I got a 25% raise. Now for sure, I won't be overspending. I'm done with this overspending thing. Here's the thing. Over time, and I wish this for you, 
There's nothing wrong with making money. I hope your, your income will increase. I hope every, money is morally neutral. It's awesome to have money. It's a matter if we're on the crazy cycle of spending more than we have or if we're on the energizing cycle of being generous. That's what matters. So here's the thing. Over time, hopefully our income will increase. And as your income does increase, guess what we so often do? We spend it. Turn to your neighbor and say, this isn't a money problem. This is a self-control problem. Say it again. This isn't a money problem. This is a self-control problem. Let me ask you another question. How much money would you need to, to make to quit using your credit card? To pay cash for cars? How much more money would you need to quit leasing automobiles? 10% more? Nope. 15% more? Wouldn't do it. The correct answer is way more money than you will ever get via a raise. The point is the same. As our income goes up, what also goes up? Our crazy spending habits. They go up. This isn't a money problem. This is a contentment problem. This is a happiness problem. Here's a third question. How much money would you need to, to make to create financial margin in your life to be generous? If you suddenly had 10% more, would that allow you to be generous? If, you, if, if 10% started showing up, would that 10% start showing up in your savings? Whatever your current financial habits are, here's the point, they're going to continue as you get increases. Because again, it's not a money problem. See, it's a discipline problem. Now a question just for the Christians. And if you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here. You can play along too. Um, Jesus let non-Christians play along. In fact, he said, come on, follow me. Right? Follow me. Watch me. Learn from me. When Jesus rose from death, everybody missed it. Right? Nobody was there outside the tomb counting down. Ten. Nine. Everybody missed the resurrection. But then they saw him and they believed. So let me ask the Jesus followers in the room a question. Everybody else can play along. How much more money would you need to stop worrying about money? It's, I hate preaching ser sermons like this in rooms with not a lot of people. Because <laughs> everybody assumes I'm talking to them. It's so funny. You lock eyes with somebody and they go. It's great. Just know it's not you. It's everybody that I lock eyes with. How much more would it take before you stop worrying about money? 10% more? 15% more? 50% more, 50% more? The answer is none of those because no matter how much money you make, I can show you somebody who makes 50% more or 100% more who still worries 
about money. Newsflash, billionaires lay in bed at night, losing sleep, worrying about money. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Then there's no hope for us. It's not true. There is hope for you. And here's the hope. Here's the hope. Are you ready? Worry is not a money problem. Worry is a spiritual problem. And it has a spiritual solution. Money is not a worry problem. It's a spiritual problem. And it has a spiritual solution. And you don't fix the problem of worrying about your money by withholding it and being miserly. That's not how you fix it. You don't fix the problem of worrying about money by hoarding it You fix it by being generous so that the money loses its importance and hold on your heart. The reason you're so discontented is not because you have so little. Ask anybody in El Salvador. The reason we're discontented is because we have so much. Money does not eradicate worry. Because money is a spiritual, or rather worry is a spiritual problem. You say, no, if I could just, if I could only, if we could only, if, if, if we can, you are kidding yourself. Because as soon as you get that if only, guess what happens? Another if only pops up. Money is an appetite. And if you feed it, it grows. If you are 20 years old this morning and you get this, it will change your life. And you will have so much more money when you're older. Jesus said, the reason you worry is that you've placed your trust in riches and not the one who richly provides. So turn to your neighbor and say, there's a better way to live. Okay. So again, to recap, the consumption assumption is this. If it comes to me, it's for me. And if I'm in a really good mood, and if somebody does it for me in a drive through line, or if that guy shows me enough sad pictures, I might take some of what I have decided to spend on me, and I might give it to him. If I'm feeling guilty enough, if everyone else is pulling out their wallet and opening their purse, I don't want to be left out. I'll participate. But I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to give in a way that impacts my crazy spending habits and my crazy approach to personal finance. That's the consumption assumption. Now listen to this. This matters. Jesus called this way of thinking. This is a really bad word, okay? 
Get ready for it. Jesus called this way of thinking greed. That's what he called it. What comes to me is for me. The problem with greed is we can't see it in the mirror. Why can't we see it in the mirror? Because we don't think it's defined that way. This is how we think greed is defined. Some guy sitting down in his basement counting his gold bars. That's how we think greed is defined. Or there's a lady sitting on her bed who's counting her jewelry and looking up at all of her artwork and salivating. That's greed, we say. Nobody does that, right? Nobody in Stratford does that. Nobody in Marshfield does that. That may be greed, but greed doesn't just include those who have a lot. Greed includes those who have a medium amount. Greed includes those who have very little and who assume, again, that it all belongs to them. That's what Jesus calls greed. And you know what greed leads to? Greed leads to worry and discontentedness. It doesn't matter how many zeros are on the end. Most financial tension, again, is not about needing what we don't have. Most financial tension is about what? Wanting what we can't get. That's where financial tension comes from. Here's the good news. Learning to be generous absolutely crushes the consumption assumption. Next week, I'm going to give you a plan to get out. It's going to be so practical. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't miss next week. Generous people think differently. I'm going to conclude with a true story, a cool story from the Bible. Um, it's, it's what's called a parable, so this didn't really happen, okay? But this is a story that Jesus made up, and it's to illustrate a big point. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. And Jesus told them a parable, a fictitious story, saying this, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So I'll just recap this quickly. Jesus is walking along a road and he begins a story this way. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Isn't it something 2,000 years ago the rich were getting richer? True. Jesus knew they would go, yeah, this is, that's how it goes. The rich just get richer. So the rich guy has this bumper crop, this amazing yield, one year, and he's got more than he's ever had before. And he thinks to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all these crops. I have so much stuff. What should I do with all my stuff? 
He says what we Americans say. I'll get a storage unit. Right? I'll get a storage unit for all my stuff. We need to finish off the basement. We need a second home. And then he says, this is what I'll do. Look up here. This is what he says. This is so important. He did did exactly what we've always done. More money does not mean you will change anything. You'll continue to do exactly what you're currently doing. With more money. Whatever you're currently doing, that's what you do with more money. So if you're in your 20s, if you can get this right now, when you have a whole lot more income, you'll continue to do whatever you're currently doing in your 20s. And if you're doing the right thing, you'll win. This guy didn't. This is what he said. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. I'll store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. And I'll take life easy. And I'll eat. And I'll drink. And I'll be merry. I'm golden. In other words, I'm done. You know what's fascinating about this? For many of you, if you were to go back 20 years or 30 years ago and somebody would have told you how much money you'd make in your life, you'd have thought to yourself, oh my goodness, I'm going to be debt-free when I'm 40. Oh my goodness, all that money I'm going to make in my life, I'm going I'm to be worry-free financially. And yet today, you're still worried, you're still discontented. Why? Because you've continued to do what you've always done. God said to him in this parable, you fool, not for being rich, to be clear, that wasn't why he was a fool, but for being confused. Because he thought it was all for him. He assumed it was all consumable. It was all disposable. The text reads this very night, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. You've got lots of stuff. You just don't have lots of years. That was the sentiment. The stuff doesn't guarantee you time. That's the sentiment. Now everybody is is listening. Then in the parable, Jesus asked the guy a question. God asked the guy a question. And in asking the guy a question, I think he's asking you this question. I think he's asking me this question. No matter how old you are, no matter how much you have, how little you have, here's the question that Jesus asked us through the parable. Now, who will get, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who will get that? And the answer is, of course, somebody else will get it, right? But not because the man was generous. See, Because the man was dead. That's why. Because the man was dead, somebody else will get what he had. And then Jesus, I love this, this is so brilliant. Jesus steps back out of the parable and he looks over the parable at the listeners and he communicates to them right in their eyes, right in our eyes, right in in my eyes. He says, this is how it will be. You will have nothing to show For everything that came your way because you consumed it or you've hoarded it for future consumption because you were worried, worried, worried. And Jesus said, this is how it'll be. It'll be total loss for whoever stores up for themselves 
They're not rich towards God. And you say, what does rich towards God mean? Jesus is very clear. Rich towards God means giving stuff away. Rich towards God means defying our notion of ownership. Jesus is making the point, it, if it can be taken away one day, you never really owned it anyway. Did you? If somebody else is going to possess it, you're not ultimately in control of it. Are you? Do you know what sense people get when they have to deal with an estate? Their parents' belongings? Have you ever heard anybody who had to deal with their parents' stuff say, Oh my gosh, this is an amazing amount. I'm so grateful to have to deal with all this stuff. I can't wait to have more stuff myself so that my kids will have to deal with all this stuff. No, what do they say? Most times people leave after having sorted through all that stuff and said, honey, when we get home, we need to get rid of some of our stuff. It's entirely unfair for us to make our kids sort through our stuff. We shouldn't have all the stuff in our lives. So next week I'm going to share some very practical things that you can do to start changing your mindset. Don't worry about it between this Sunday and next Sunday because nobody does anything I ask them to do anyway, okay? <laughs> so don't worry about it. Don't take it too seriously. But this week, this is what I want to challenge you to do. Shannon and I are doing this. Start thinking about your stuff. Start thinking about your stuff. I just want for a week you to think every time you have an opportunity to maybe give or to maybe share and that thing rises up in your spirit like, but what if they break it? What if they break that tool? Or what if they lose that? Or what if I don't get it back? Or what if I don't have enough when this is all over? And then you go there and you say, oh, there it is. There's that crazy me thinking about that stuff again. Thinking that if I just hang on to it, I'm going to quit worrying. What a joke. Here, you can have it. What if we said that? In fact, I'm going I'm to double it. I'm just going to, I'm just, I had a buddy um, last night. I was on the way, on the road, and I ran out of gas like an idiot on I-39 North, right through Stevens Point, right before an overpass at the old biz, Business 51. And I barely got off the highway. I mean, it was embarrassing. People are flying by. Cars are about having accidents, trying to get in the left-hand lane to be courteous not seeing people in their blind spots. I'm terrified. I, I was in the middle of biting down on a fried shrimp from Culver's when the car started chugging, and I had to get over. And I called a buddy of mine whose name is Chris. He's a pastor. I'm so thankful to have pastor friends who lives in Stevens Point. I said, are you close by? I just ran a gas. Can you bring a can and put some gas in my car? And he said, he said I will. And... He comes and puts a little gas in my car, van cranks. I know I'm going to get the next exit. And I went into my wallet, and I grabbed a $20 bill, and I said, thank you. And God spoke to me and said, you cheapskate. Double it. And that probably wasn't even generous. But, but I, when are we going to respond to the Holy Spirit and say, this isn't ours. This is just money. This is all this is. 
right? This is, this is just my, you can have it. I need to prove to myself that I'm not controlled by this stuff. One day somebody's going to pack every, every bit of this stuff up and they're going to give it away, sell it, trade it, break it, lose it, burn it. Everything I've worked for. And you think to yourself, what would it look like if I felt the freedom to give it away? How might my worry dissipate? Listen, I've said it already. I'll say it again. I am not going to tell anybody here to, to stop making money. I hope you all make a lot more money. That's my prayer for you. That's my heart for you. As long as it's legal, okay? That's my only, that's my only uh, yeah, addendum. I just want you to get off the crazy cycle of letting your money control you and on to the generosity cycle of controlling your money. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. I pray, Lord, that we would not feel by the power of the Holy Spirit the grip of our resources. Lord, you have so freely given. Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You have blessed us with treasure. Help us. You've blessed us to be a blessing. Lord, help us to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.